Are you the type of person that always has to be doing something? Anybody? Some of you are saying, I did something for all my life, now I'm doing nothing. Whatever. But there's some people that always, that you can't not be busy. And there's always people like that. Hey, if you're like that, that's great. Uh, we are all given the same 24 hours in a day. Yet some can do with those 20, 24 hours what some people could do in 48 hours. And then there are other people that can take those 24 hours and do what some people would do in an hour. It just, it just amazes me how we measure our output, we measure our activity with time. But today, many of us have many irons in the fire. I have talked with many of you that have talked about, boy, I wish I could go back to work because when I'm retired, I'm busier than ever. Because all of a sudden people realize you can take them places. People realize that you're free to do stuff. And, and you're like, man, let me just go back to work so I can catch a break. But whether or not this is you, we can all agree with this, that our life is filled with responsibilities. And somewhere along the way, there is someone who is depending on us. All of us here have someone who is depending on us. Whether you be an adult and you have children or parents that are depending upon you, or maybe you're a, a teenager or a child that has a pet or or somebody that, that you have responsibility for. We all have responsibilities. But the trap here, and I've always heard that if Satan can't get you through temptation, through the, the biggies, he'll often do the most trickiest of tricks. The, the most deceiving trick is to not make us necessarily evil, but make us too busy. And so the trap is becoming too busy until we are not helping and not taking advantage of the time God has given us. But before we jump into the scripture of James, if you would allow me just a second to, to kind of remind you of another passage talking about busyness here. It's the one where Jesus is going to eat with, with Mary and Martha. And in Luke chapter 10, Verses 28 through 42, this is just a paraphrase. Mary took the opportunity at this meal to sit down at the feet of Jesus while her sister Martha chose to prepare the big dinner for them. Now there's nothing evil with that. If you're going to eat, someone has to prepare it. But Martha felt like it was a little unfair that her lazy sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus while she was doing all the work. Now, I've been in kitchens with some of you, and I know that when I asked if I can help, you say, no, thank you, no, thank you. And we're okay, preacher, probably because you don't want me to screw it up. But just imagine if you're working hard and then there's somebody that's supposed to be helping you that's not. Well, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and then not working. So she was looking at Jesus and said, basically, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me in this kitchen and give me a hand. And this is what Jesus said in response. He says in Luke ten forty one, My dear Martha, Oh, dear Martha, why, You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will be not taken away from her. Look, Jesus was not chastising Martha for getting the dinner ready, only... Reminding her that, that while the meal was important and he appreciated it, that spending time with Jesus was far more important. 
and far more beneficial. My friend, it doesn't matter how many titles you have on your job description. It doesn't matter how many events at a church that you watch. It doesn't matter how many television preachers you watch. It doesn't matter all of these things you do. If we are so busy doing things for the Lord and not spending time with the Lord, Jesus is saying, you're not making the most of our time together. If Billy Graham says that at the end of his life that he wished he would have spent more time in prayer and reading God's word, what what a a judgment upon us to spend more time to do the same. But you see, God often places us in what I call, for lack of a better term, Martha moments, where he reminds us to don't do something just stand there. And yes, that's a, that's a play on words. Don't do something. Just stand there. Most times people will say, don't just stand there. Do something. But what Jesus is telling Martha and he's telling you and I today that sometimes being busy is not what he wants. Sometimes, have you ever thought about this? Sometimes you are placed in the uncomfortable moments of your life to learn something. And maybe one of the best things you can do is just stand there and do nothing. But wait and depend upon Him. So, that kind of frames up what we're talking about today. Open your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. And we'll read verses 7 through 11 this morning. And it, it talks about waiting for the Lord, of, of standing in the gap and just waiting for the Lord to do something. And it says in James chapter 5, starting with verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters... So when we see he's, he's writing, therefore, brothers and sisters, we see all of a sudden that his emphasis has changed. Last week when we were looking at the passage before this, he was talking about those heathens that were treasuring their money over everything. And now he has turned it back to brothers and sisters. So he's saying, hey, you, I got something to tell you. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient. Oh, I hate that word. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. I didn't know this, but did you know when it says the early and late rains? They they depended on the early rains at the beginning of the season when they started sowing all the seed. The light rains kind of made the ground easier to plow. And then the late rains were the ones that truly fertilized what they had grown. But here they are. They're waiting. He says in verse 8, You must also be patient and strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Well, as we see, brothers and sisters, we see this. Christians should expect a little suffering. Christians should expect a little suffering. Look, if you have heard a preacher or someone has told you, if you have, if you are a Christian, you're not going to have any problems. If your faith is strong enough, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because here's the thing, is that God gives us life, and He gives us life to the full. That means the full of the good and full as the bad. And James is writing to some suffering servants that he dressed at the beginning of his letter in verses 1 through 5. But this whole thing, this world we live in, let's be honest. It's hostile towards God. Why is that? Because of sin. If you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, 
when it will be hostile towards you too. If you say that I am a Christian, just because you claim that you love the Lord, then people are going to automatically put that tag on you. And we are in the crosshairs when that happens. And look, you may not be persecuted like those in other countries who are literally losing their lives, but that does not mean that we should discount their sacrifice. Even today. Look, let me ask you this. Does the fact that your brothers and sisters in Christ, although they have a different color of skin and they don't speak your language, does it bother you that they are being separated from their families? Does it tug at your heart to know that they are living in poverty because they became a Christian? Does does it bother you to know that they are even losing their lives because they gave their lives to Jesus Christ? Today, in this moment, people who claim to be Christians are losing their lives. Let me show you this slide. Did you know that around 215 million Christians face significant levels of persecution in the world today? And to be quite honest with you, there were a lot of pictures that I could not show this audience. Of Christians that are being burned alive. Christians that are being executed, especially over in the Middle East when they turn from these other godless religions. And today, in this moment, somebody will be killed because they are a Christian. And folks, they are our brothers and sisters. We have never met them. We do not speak their language. But they are part of our family. Researchers say that one in 12 Christians live where their faith is illegal forbidden and punished. Does this make you uncomfortable? Should I move on? Should we change the channel? Should we click away from this? We cannot do that. We cannot click away. Because 1 Corinthians 12.26 says this. Check this out. So if one member suffers, this is Paul talking about the body of Christ. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. I'll tell you what, i got a pain in my toe. My whole body is feeling it. But you know what? When this is happening overseas, we tend, we are tempted just to discount it and get back to our lives. Today, in churches today, especially in America, people consider persecution not getting their way at their church. Or being made to stand and sing all the verses of a hymn. Or singing a chorus they've never heard before. Or being asked to give of their time and their money when it is Inconvenient. All the while our brothers and sisters are losing their lives because persecution is a real thing. I'm not making light of it here. Yes, Christians are persecuted. But for many today, it is easy to live like we will live forever while giving no thought to the fact that every minute we spend on earth draws Jesus' return Closer to becoming a reality. That's, that's the thing we need to frame up this, this passage with. Is that it says in the first part of this, in verse 7, that it's all about the Lord's coming. Let me ask you this. Do you live your life like Jesus is coming back? Do you live your life like Jesus is coming back? I would say for a, a vast majority of people in this world today, the answer is no. There are a lot of Christians and non-Christians alike that live like there is no hell. Because if we did think there was one, we would be out there beating the doors down 
trying to get our family members and our friends converted. But we have to be make sure that God is not going to right all the wrongs of this world until Jesus returns. Look, let me show it to you on the screen. Jesus is not going to right all of the things that are wrong in the world without, until, or at least until Jesus returns. Look, we can sit in our knitting circles and we can sit eating our biscuits at, at Hardy's in the morning. Every now and then I'll go to Hardy's here at Home Park and there's a group of men and you might even know them. They'll sit back there and they're solving the world's problems every day. And look, we, we can have those, we can talk about, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that. But it's never going to work right until we are with Jesus. It's about time we learn that. We have to be patient like a farmer. And patience like a farmer means that we have to stay put. We have to do the work. We have to depend on the Lord. How many times a year do we see, especially when we get the cold snaps as winter starts, Oh, the peach crop is going to be terrible this year. Oh, the apples, are we don't know if we're going to make them. We don't know if the oranges in Florida are going to be good because of all the cold snaps. And I'm not, I'm not making light of that, but, but here's the thing. Some of you have a green thumb, and I, and I bow to you for that. Thank you. We need people to help things grow on this earth. I have a black thumb. It's bad. But the thing is, is that once we plant those things and we fertilize those things, and toil with those things, the rest of it's really up to God. The thing is, why doesn't Jesus just come back now? Why doesn't He come back now? I know many of you in here think, oh no, don't say that preacher, I don't want Jesus to come back. I want to see my kids grow up and get married. I want to see this little financial nest egg that I have. I want to enjoy it a little bit. Or, or don't, don't tell Jesus to come back because I, I got things I got to do. Look, we all feel that way. But one day, boom, the sky is going to split. Jesus is going to come back. And we have been patiently waiting that forever. So why is he taking so long? Let me ask you something. How many of y'all like biscuits or cakes? Oh, man, I love bread. Those are, those are carbohydrates that I can get behind. And they probably get on my behind, too. But the thing is, what happens if you don't cook it enough? It comes out and it's doughy, nasty, and you're unable to eat it because it's time, it hasn't had time to be prepared properly. My friend, we're still baking. But when the timer dings and God says to Jesus, go and get them, we will be ready. The harvest is coming. We are now, we have to be patient in the midst of it. And we also need to remember that this that we're going through is causing us to be patient. I want you to to remember this. Patience produces endurance. Can you say that with me? Patience produces endurance. One more time. Patience produces endurance. The things that you have been patient for in your life have prepared you for this moment that you're in, whatever that may be. And whatever is to come, this moment is preparing you for that because patience produces endurance. Endurance grows our lives to produce the ripe fruit of the gospel, the ripe fruit of being a Christian. Do you know what the fruit means? What is a Christian supposed to produce? Oh, am I supposed to be 
a perfect attender at church? Am I supposed to be the high tither? Am I supposed to be, you know, the, the pillar of the church? No, let me tell you what the fruit is that a Christian should produce. And it's right here in Galatians 5.22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Folks, if you claim to be a Christian, the fruit that your life should produce are these things. You're not perfect. You're not always going to get it right. But when you wear the name of Christ, this is what people should see. So my point here is that your patience and endurance you struggle with today is growing your fruit for tomorrow. I don't know what you're in. God does. I do know this. We are all waiting to be complete and to be with our creator one day. But until then, we must be patient. You know, we're living our lives now like, oh my goodness, what is the news saying? What's on Twitter? How many followers do I have on Facebook? What, what are, what are people hurting and mad about today? You know, that, that's just what people are concerned with nowadays. But we see the second thing is we need to play nice with other believers. Play nice with other believers. It says in verse 9, Brothers and sisters, <laughs> do not complain about one another. Notice it says do not complain to one another. It says do not complain about one another. So that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Again, look at the way this was written, folks. This was written to a church telling a church to play nice with one another. I will go ahead and tell you, the worst wounds I have ever received have been from church members. All through the years of my life. And some of you are in the same way. There are people that will leave their church and never come back because of a wound that they have received from people not playing nice. How many of y'all like Shark Week? You know what Shark Week is? Oh yeah. You get to see a whole week of sharks on, on I think, the Discovery Channel. So you're like, what's Shark Week? Well, that's a bunch of shows about sharks. That's all it is. But you can learn some things and you can learn that, that with sharks, that sometimes while the, the mama shark is get, or she hasn't given birth, but they're getting ready to be birthed, those embryos that are inside that mama shark will fight with one another. And the most dominant one will start eating the other embryos. Yeah. They will start eating one another inside the womb so that the strongest one will survive. I have seen that in church after church after church. This is my church. This is my pew. I tithe, you work for me. I've heard all of those things. Thankfully not here. But it's amazing what you hear in churches. Some of you have been receivers of that type of treatment. And quite honestly, some of you have been given that treatment too. We got to play nice. Some people will never enter the kingdom because they saw a church fight. Why do we do that? James is reminding us to be nice to one another. And look, those people that are judging everybody else, they have to be careful because as James says, 
you be careful about judging others because Jesus is coming back and He's going to judge you much harsher than you were judged, than you were judging others. He talks about the fact that, uh, look to the true prophets who sought God in the midst of their difficult circumstances. And he talks about us focusing on the gospel. We see that uh, as we read on, it says, Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who, who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. <laughs> as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. What we see here is that the prophets, those are people that sought God in the midst of their most difficult circumstances. And our focus must be on the gospel. You know why churches fight? You know why Christians disagree? Do you know why that there, there is not harmony among denominations? There's not harmony among churches in the same association? It's because we all want to fight for what we want and what we believe and we have forgotten that we are all supposed to be doing the same thing. And that means sharing the gospel. That means sharing the Great Commission. Let me ask you something. Do you know what the Great Commission is? Have you ever heard that term? The scary thing is that in Facts and Trends magazine, it says that half of those who attend church, half of those who attend church have never heard of the Great Commission. That's like somebody going to work in a lawyer's office and never hearing anything about the law. Not only do, not only that, but half, 51% say they've never heard it. But, or they've never heard it and cannot remember the exact meaning. Shame on the preachers and shame on the teachers and shame on the churches that spend all their effort talking about how we can be a better person all the time forsaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. The story of Jesus who was born, who was lived a sinless life, who died for your sins and who is coming back again. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands that I have given you. I am grateful for every time we get to take someone up into that baptistry and and dunk them in the water and baptize them because that means that we are doing what we're supposed to do. I, it blesses me when I walk by and I hear a teacher teaching you the gospel. When I see us singing and worshiping about the gospel, and most importantly, when I see us sharing the gospel, whether it be through vacation Bible school or a back-to-school rally or just even in our normal conversations with people. Folks, your spiritual commitment to the church and Jesus Christ will be that of a consumer. Hear me out. Your attention and your purpose of going to church will be that of a consumer. Let me get what I can get. Until you embrace Jesus, 
embraces Great Commission, you become a partner with him. The reason churches are closing their doors is because they are not online with Jesus. They do not care about the Great Commission. Well, the third thing we see is that we need to study those who have modeled patience and suffering in James chapter 5 verses 10 through 11. Brothers and sisters, take prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Think about Moses. Moses stood up as a leader for God's chosen people. They would follow him, but they would also complain. They rebelled and they disregarded Moses' leadership. What did Moses do in that moment? Moses patiently endured his trials by praying to God for strength and patience. Think of Job. Job had done nothing wrong. Yet God chose him to display his faith not only to the world, but to Satan himself. How did Job endure that? Job endured by praying to God for strength and patience. Think of Jesus himself, the sinless, spotless, sacrifice lamb that died for your sins and for mine. He was tried and convicted of crimes he did not commit. And he prayed for God to forgive the very people that were killing him. And by the way, it wasn't just the guards that were killing him. It was your sin and my sin that nailed him to the cross. It was your hands that hit that nail into that piece of wood. It was your sins that put him on the cross. It was for your sins that his blood was shed. So that you could receive his mercy and his grace. So that he could look at you and say, forever you will be with me in paradise. How did he get through that? Well, Jesus endured by praying to God for strength and patience. Do you catch a theme here? Do you kind of get what's putting all of this together? Sometimes the only thing you can do when God's will places you in an uncomfortable situation is to stand and endure by praying to God for strength and Patience. Sometimes all you can do is just stand there in the moment and pray for God to help. I gotta be honest with y'all. When I began preparing this message, I was putting together a sermon that touched on how you and I can endure the hardships that either God has placed upon us or that we have gotten ourselves into. And it was looking good. I mean, I'm telling you what, I, I thought, man, this is gonna, this dog's gonna walk. 
Because I looked at this whole passage and it was like, I was thinking about where I was and, and the encouragement that I needed. And it's like, man, let's, let's have a good touchy feely sermon on, on how we can all be better and how we can make it through our tough times. And then God just showed me almost audibly. He said, you have missed the entire purpose of this passage. The thing that frames this passage up is not what we go through. The thing that frames this passage up is what it says in verse 7. To be patient until the Lord's return. The purpose of this passage is to encourage Christians to never tire of sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it be in word, in action, Yes, we can be encouraged by James to endure our current situations that we are going through. But if it's only for our survival and for us to feel better, then we are doing it with the wrong motives. If you are serving Jesus Christ just to feel better about yourself and and to have a way to cope with life, look, he does that, and that's great. But I think that we have shifted to What can God do for me instead of what can I do for God? Jesus is coming again. There is a timer that goes on. I'll never forget when uh, I would do youth, when youth ministry, I would do relays with the kids. And there's two things that you need to have when you want kids to get excited about a relay or any kind of physical activity. Number one, there's got to be a prize. You got to give them something. And so when you tell them a prize, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. And then the thing that makes it real interesting is you pull out a stopwatch and you measure them. I remember a while back, the twins, were, they, they were outside and they were a little younger and they had all this energy. And they said, you know, they were talking about who's going to be faster or slower. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll time you. Really? Got out of my watch. Boom, they took off. They just... You know, we were telling them actually to run. They love that. It was outside on the track. I think, Bryce, I think you won. But it was all fun and games until I said, okay, I'm going to time you. And then, Folks, we are on the clock. We are on the clock. Jesus is coming back again. Many of our saints and forerunners have left and it's being left to us to carry on. We got to do it. We got to do it because our lives are to mirror God as a creator in the good and in the bad. And the focus of the entire 66 books of this Bible, of all of these books, is not our comfort, but for his Glory. But I guarantee you this. If you are seeking his glory, he will give you his comfort. That's the way that works. You don't seek his glory to be comfortable, but if you seek his glory, he will make you comfortable. He might not take you out of that situation, but he'll be able to make you stand under it. You see, it's in those times that we are squeezed. It's those times when our faith is tested. It's those times when we want to get out of this situation and we want God to take this from us. 
And he says, no, I'm not done yet. And we're being squeezed. Why is he squeezing us? Because these fruits of the Spirit that I mentioned earlier, he's wanting that to come out of our lives. And when we do that, the church is blessed. Our families are blessed. Our world is blessed. I think the last thing I'll leave you with is this. What is James telling you and I to do? What's the bottom line, preacher? James is telling you and I to do four things. Number one, to stand. Wherever God has placed you, stand in that place. Not only for your benefit, and not only for the benefit of others, but for the glory of God. Remember Moses. Remember Job. Remember all of these Bible heroes. Number two, focus on Jesus, not on the pain of your situation. Again, I mean, I was, I don't know if I told you earlier or in, in Sunday school, but, uh, to our Bible study class, but, um, sometimes when I'm mowing grass, I'll get on these preachers on my phone and I'll listen to it while I'm mowing grass. And there's this one guy that just, he rocks my world every time. And he said, you know, that, Speaking on the pain of your situation, true faith is not praying to God get you out of that situation, but God to give you the strength to endure that situation. Do you remember when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples? Do you remember that story? And the storm came, and they all were, Whoo! We're going to die. And Jesus basically said, Oh, you, a little faith. Was he upset that they didn't think that they could calm the storm? No, that wasn't it. He knew that they couldn't calm the storm. He was upset because they didn't think that he would be with them and keep them safe while the storm was was going on. My friend, if you are in a storm, do not lose sight of the fact that the Savior is with you. If it hasn't resolved yet, it only means God is still working. And remember that God is full of compassion and mercy. Don't change the channel the next time you hear a story about persecution. When we have Lottie Moon offerings and Annie Armstrong offerings that go for missions here and abroad, give like you've never given. Knowing that that money is supporting people that are on the field helping in those situations. And then the fourth thing, be patient. Don't try to hurry God's process. Because let me tell you something. If God is working on you, you know what that means? Check this out. If God is working on you, that means His hands are upon you. And there is no other place I would rather be. Don't try to hurry God's process. He loves you. And He has a purpose in this. God, thank You so much for this message today. And Lord, it's just my prayer that... As we come to this time of invitation, Lord, that we are reminded not only of how good you are, but we are reminded that this world is not all about us. Lord, we do have brothers and sisters that are anxiously awaiting your return because they are being persecuted. Some have even been martyred. Lord, help us not to be so consumed with our life that we don't seek your will. Lord, help us to not seek to get out of what you're putting us through, but to 
understand the lesson that you're trying to teach us. And let us live every day as knowing our days are numbered so that we make the best of our lives, the best for our relationship with you, the best with our relationship for our family, our spouses, our kids, our brothers, our sisters, our parents, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. The Lord, every day is a gift and an opportunity to make your glory known. If there's anyone that would like to come to the altar and, and pray, or maybe someone wants to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to have this type of purpose, to have this type of forgiveness, may they come forward at this time. Whatever your decision is, make it today. Thank you, Lord, for it's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand?